Welcome back to start Kyle Orton and welcome to the offseason for the Chicago right. Bears. Are... The rest of the NFL is moving on. Some of them are playing in the playoffs. Some of them are our greatest rivals and are just beating the unholy hell out of quality <laughs> competition in the playoffs. And we are sitting at home, Kyle. How do you feel sitting at home today? It's it's not good. I mean, I, I like watching Jordan Love destroy the Cowboys yesterday. Like the Bears went from three wins to seven wins. They have the first overall pick. They have the ninth overall pick. They have they can easily make anywhere from sixty to ninety million in cap space. Um, this off season is their oyster. They could do whatever they want with it. The The sun should be shining upon me, and I should, I should see only bright skies ahead. And yet, watching Jordan Love yesterday, all I could think is, is it going to fucking matter? Is it ever going to fucking matter? Like, even <laughs> if they nail all of this, is it going to matter? Because Green Bay can pick a guy who couldn't throw the fucking ball at Utah State. They can pair him with... Four wide receivers who don't even remember 9-11, mm-hmm. and they can just roll. It took them about five weeks to iron out the kinks on that one, and here they are, a fucking Death Star in January of the first year of their rebuild. It's true. It's true. it's very frustrating to see this working out again for the Packers. It's also frustrating because, you know, you and I, we spent a lot of time, a lot of words over the last year talking about how, like, letting a guy sit – doesn't necessarily matter at all. Like there's not necessarily a huge point to it. And now what we've seen is Justin Fields is essentially ruined. You know, I think his <laughs> ceiling is an acceptable quarterback because we put him out there as rookie season. Well, and they sat a guy who we both agreed was not a good prospect to the rest of the NFL was kind of like, I don't know. That's a middling dude. They sat his ass down for years and years. And here he is yet again, fully blossoming into an Aaron Rodgers, well, right? So I when we when we had we we weren't on the podcast I guess at the time but when we were having the when people were having the the Justin Fields versus Andy Dalton debate as a rookie, yep. I am not forever against sitting guys. I said I think why a guy needs to sit and what is it he needs to work on is very important. And Jordan Love is the kind of guy that I do think sitting works because if you watched him in college, and if you watched him even in his first couple preseasons and stuff, most of the issues that he had were mechanical. His processing seemed fine. He usually was looking the right direction. Um, he got rid of the ball on time, um, and that's something we're going to talk a whole hell of a lot about over the next couple weeks when it comes to quarterbacks and what you can fix and what you can't fix and all that. So Jordan Love did a lot, a lot of those things, right? But what he really struggled with was just like mechanics. His footwork was abysmal and his upper and lower body were very rarely in sync. He sprayed the ball a lot. There were a lot of accuracy issues that I will say, even as he's taken off this year, he still has spotty accuracy at times. You can tell sometimes it drifts on him. Um, and the other thing is he, he is still two different quarterbacks when he's under pressure and versus when he's not, but he's just the green Bay, as we have talked about over and over is a factory at producing offensive line talent. They just keep churning these guys out and he's very rarely under pressure. Um, But anyway, so Jordan love was the kind of guy, I think I even said like Jordan love is the kind of guy. I don't, I don't, I didn't think it was going to work. I really didn't, 
But I said, he is the kind of guy for whom I think you make the case that sitting and learning is what he needs to do. If it's a guy where it's, it's purely mechanical, I never thought that sitting and learning would work for Justin Fields. And I still don't think that it would have because Justin Fields' problem is he is not fast enough, which is hilarious when you consider that he is like one of the fastest quarterbacks that we've ever seen in, in some ways. But in terms of his process, in terms of, of figuring out what he's looking at and making quick decisions, he's very slow. He is a slow – he's also very slow dropping back in the pocket. Yes, it, he is. I will never understand why a, why a kid who is so fat – you know, when, when, when broadcasters talk about white wide receivers, they always bring up, like, this guy is more quick than fast. Justin Fields is the exact opposite. He is more fast than quick. He has breakaway speed and incredible vertical acceleration, and yet I feel like his sudden movements are sometimes very stiff, and he doesn't get, like, it takes him a second. I mean, once he's reached peak velocity, he's gone. But I feel like he gets, like, for instance, I feel like he gets caught in the backfield a lot more than, like, Lamar Jackson does, because Lamar Jackson is quick and fast. And I feel like Justin Fields sometimes is just fast. And he's not quick. And so you see that in his drop bo- or in his dropbacks too. His dropbacks are very slow. His processing is very slow. And so I thought Justin Fields, if he was going to have any chance, he needed to play. Now the problem... Whoa, good lord. Clickety-clack. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, doing some stenography over there. Um, extra, extra. Read all about it. Uh, anyways. Um, I have he, a mechanical keyboard. Uh, it's, that's, obviously that's you do <laughs> you sure do you yeah. sure do uh no his his process is slow and so what the problem with fields is that he needed reps but he needed reps i think on a team that had a good offensive line yeah um he needed reps and he needed to be protected while he did like so the positive example of how the justin fields plan could have worked out is obviously jalen hurts hurts has always played behind a very good eagles offensive line and he still is among the league leaders in time to throw, but he doesn't take the sacks that Justin Fields or a lot of other guys. Uh, and God, you guys are going to hear so much about time to throw this offseason. I hope you're ready for it. Um, I have I, I have written the book on it, and I'm ready. Um, but Jalen Hurts still takes a long time, but he was always protected. He didn't have to run for his life, and so he could hang in the pocket and work through his reads. And over time, he has gotten slowly better at that. Justin didn't have the time to work on what he needed to work on. He was instantly into fight or flight mode every time. And so it was just never going to, it didn't work. Uh, it, so I don't think sitting and learning would have saved him either. I think the only thing that would have saved him is landing on a better team. Yep. And that's, that's an, an excellent point. Basically the idea is if you have a good team and you're bringing in a young quarterback, you know, they can play it out. And that t- rolls in nicely to what we are going to talk about. Not this week, but next week, folks, with basically, if you guys want to go back, you can, uh, it's our, our second most listened to episode. We got the the whole thing about why Justin Fields should be given a shot this season. We did that last off season. We went through the whole deal. Next week, we are going to tell you why the Bears need to get rid of him this offseason yeah i mean it's it's uh we're gonna save that for the next episode just because there's a lot of other stuff bears related worth talking about in this episode we're gonna talk about the coaching stuff first and foremost um but yeah just a little sneak peek and if you haven't picked it up for the last couple of episodes i think both of us made up our mind i mean i personally for me the decision was made when he looked yet again at dj moore coming open on a backside dig 
the throw was there in structure if he flashed any bit of anticipation, which he still has not done. And he missed it against the Vikings, and he scrambled for 4.5 seconds, and he injured and dislocated his thumb and missed a month. For me, that was when I gave up. That was when I was like, it's just not happening here. Um, But yeah, spoiler alert, we do think the Bears should move on from Justin Fields. And I have been on Twitter. I have been trying to deal patiently with Bears Twitter and their their res- many of their reservations about this decision. Um, I will say, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm, I'm an old man now, and I'm a father, and I have tried to be a lot nicer in, and more patient in my online interactions. I don't go looking for fights anymore. Um, you know, I mostly just tweet my stuff, and if people want to reply to me, I will reply to them, and I usually try to, to be nice and patient a lot more than I... And I feel like that pisses people off a lot more than when I was just an asshole back in the day. You know, when 23-year-old Kyle would be on Twitter and he'd say something about Jay Cutler and you'd say something I disagree with and I would be like, well, fuck you. Go to hell. <laughs> and and people people were like, ha, 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 fair enough. But nowadays, I'll just like patiently explain in, in like a, a string of tweets like why I think they're wrong, usually using like hard numbers. And, and that seems to just make people even more mad. They're just like, yo, you think you're so fucking smart. Fuck you, you son of a bitch. And I'll be like, oh, okay, well, you have a nice day then, sir. I um, I'm, I'm leaving now. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, so what, yeah, I mean, what we're going to talk about today, I think, is going to focus a lot on the coach. But uh, here's the deal, Kyle. I've kind of, I've kept this kind of close to the best this week. I, I haven't really engaged you on this subject. And that's because, uh, I, I think we have a bit of a disagreement here, uh, and you are you are very hard in one direction on what we did at coach, and I'm not I'm not ultra hard in the other direction, but I'm actually kind of confident. Uh, you're you're semi hard. Are we are we like how what's our what's our comparative hardness levels here? I'm I'm very hard, and you're. Do you have trouble getting hard? Is you're, that you're rock hard, and I'm like I'm, you know I'm okay. getting there. I'm getting okay. there in the other right. direction. So here's the thing. <laughs> this all starts with, so we left off our last podcast. We were setting up week 18 versus Green Bay. You know, we were talking about how it was key for Aberflus and it was key for Fields. So it turns out, it, well, I think it was key for Fields. I, I do yes. think we're going to find out that that was probably a big determining factor when the Bears do probably move on. I think the fact that he is 0-6 against Green Bay and 0-2 against Jordan Love is probably going to, carry some weight there um it wasn't meaningful for Eberflus somehow so yeah that's the big story the Bears kept Matt Eberflus they looked around at an NFL environment in which Bill Belichick is available in which Mike Vrabel is available in which Ben Johnson who just put on a master class against the Rams last night is available they looked upon one of the deepest and most talented coaching pools that we have ever seen. And they looked at a man who hasn't beaten a quarterback better that I guess he beat Jared Goff one time, one time, but otherwise it's a, an array of Brian Hoyers and, and Bryce Young's and, and, and Mac Jones's. They looked upon that man and they said, this guy, they watched him get dog walked up and down the field by Jordan Love, and they said, that guy, we have to keep him. We have to. He's shown so much growth. You guys should have seen how good his fucking defense looked against Taylor Heineke. Oh, my God, man. I don't know how you could toss this guy aside. They looked at him and they said, Matt Eberflus, 
stands atop the crossroads of history. He will be the leader in this Bears, this seminal moment in Bears history. He will be the man to help us choose our next quarterback. He will be the man to help us decide what to do with two top ten picks. He will be the man to put it all together and lead us into battle next year. They did that. And you bet your fucking ass I am pissed as hell about it. So, Travis, tell me why you aren't. For the love of God, I don't understand it. You, you, want you, me, you want me to walk you off the cliff here a little bit? No, you're not. You're not. I will you're say not, this. You're not pulling me back a fucking inch from that cliff. But I want to know why you aren't on the cliff with me. All right? Actually, I think you are on the cliff with me, and you're just—you're not even aware it's a cliff. You are—you are a lemming, and you are just merrily walking along. So here, just spew some bullshit. I would, I would say if I be a lemming on this one, I would be on your side, right? Because public sentiment is very against the Bears for keeping Matt Eberflus, and understandably so, right? We hire bad coaches, and then we hold on to them for one extra year just to fuck everything up, right? And there is all the possibility in the world that we have Matt Nagied or John Fox this bitch again. We are the Bears. We do love to do that. And it would appear that Kevin Warren uh, has co-signed, I guess, uh, onto this plan. But there is a lot of hope with this team, right? We did like, is there, beginning of the season, there? Kyle. Beginning of the season. Your prediction for the Bears, for you to feel confident in what they were doing going forward, is pretty much exactly what they fucking did this season. <laughs> it's I say the way it happened. I say it's eight the, it's the way it happened, right? It's the way this season played out that has you frustrated now, which is understandable. The other thing is we expected Justin Fields to progress. We really did. We thought if he wasn't going to take another giant step, he was going to take a step. And quite frankly, he didn't. We'll talk about that next week, but he's basically the same guy, right? If you were to tell me what went wrong this season, I'm guessing we would both agree that the biggest issue is offensive play calling and Getsy got fired. Totally deserved. He was a bad offensive coordinator, right? I would say number two, quarterback play. Quarterback play's gotta be number two on this team. The reasons we went seven and ten instead of nine and eight, ten and seven. Um I think it would take a while for us number to get three was probably Number three would probably be a defense that's got, what, five second-round picks on it plus 80, 90, $120 million. You realize the Bears are top, like, five in the NFL, top five to ten in the NFL this year in defensive spending. They, they invested, like, crazy in this fucking defense. So I really don't want to hear about how the defense came along or whatever against Taylor Heineke and, and whatever's left of Kyra Murray. Um, I mean, and, they and did. Brian they, they played well to end the year. I mean, you can't. No, they say, didn't. Ah, they, they, they literally just ended the year in Green Bay where they got dog walked. They, Every they quarterback gave up, they with gave a up, pulse. They gave up 17 points to what ended the season as the sixth best offense in the NFL. And that itself is being drugged down by a miserable first part of the season for Green Bay, except for against the fucking Chicago Bears. We, we gave up 17 they points gave to the Packers. A they team gave that up. Just, uh, now let me finish. I will let not. You will listen to me. You will a listen team, to me because you're 17 a team that has the fifth best defense in the NFL by DVOA. How many points did Green Bay just put up on them? How, they, how badly did they just dog walk? If 17 points on the Bears is a the, dog walking, but what the do we 17, what they did in Dallas? The 17 points was a fluke. 
They gave up oh, 400. Oh, Luke. Oh, you're grasping. You're grasping. No, that is the number. That is what they shut up, did. Shut up and listen to me. God damn you. 432 <laughs> yards, 308 passing yards. Jordan Love, Jordan Love was 27 of 32 for 316 yards. They gave up 432 yards. They gave up 124 rushing yards. They gave up 7.2 yards per play. The Packers were 7 of 10 on third downs. They had 24 first downs. They got one sack. They pressured Love on just 12% of his dropbacks. The 17 points was mostly Green Bay flubbing some shit in the red zone. But by all of the advanced metrics, the 17 points was pure luck. That was on paper a few plays away from a 35 to 10 drubbing. All right. I am not, if you walked away impressed with the bears defense's performance against green Bay in week 18, you are, you are so high on copium. My God. I was, I was not impressed, but I am not as unimpressed as I was a week ago because of what happened last night. It's hard. It's if you're not going to be impressed by what green Bay, you are tolerating bullshit so hard right now. I'm so disappointed in you. So oh it's not God. the worst. It's not oh, the worst possible. It's not this the worst. Well, that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's where we're at. As that, that's, once again, this is the Bears organization saying, look, it could be worse. We could, we could, we could do worse. They don't aim now. high. They no. settle. They're settlers. They're now, an organization of settlers, and you are settling with them. Now, if you were They're so settling in that. If you I'm would so let me so finish my so statement, so if you would so let so me continue without you fine. yelling as loud as possible, fine. I would fine. say that in an ideal world, we both know what we want, right? Both of us wanted the same thing. We've wanted Ben Johnson to be our head coach since like week three, week two, maybe. That's That would have been my preference, right? Bring in Ben Johnson, let him hire a staff. The Bears did not do that. Do I think the best decision they could have made would have been to fire Eberflus, to clean house, to hire Ben Johnson? Absolutely. Do I think that's what was going to happen? No. And I don't think this is the worst situation. You brought up a couple of guys. Do you honestly think hiring Bill Belichick or Mike Vrabel would have been an improvement? I don't. Like, Vrabel had a defense that was worse than the Bears this year. Vrabel had a terrible offense this year. His players hate him. Bill Belichick... Can't do anything without Tom Brady. He has proven that. Like, those are not two guys I want. Maybe I would have accepted Jim Harbaugh. I mean, I think you and I both know I would have been like, okay, like, we could do this. And I definitely would have loved Ben Johnson, but I don't know. I mean, I I have some hope going into next season. I don't think this was the worst decision the Bears could have made, but it's absolutely not the decision I would have made. And it's not the most hopeful decision, right? Like, Like, there's obviously... 90% 90% of my brain is telling me, buddy, the Bears have done this the last two times they hired a head coach, right? John Fox, they kept him around for one more inexplicable year just so he could ruin Mitch Trubisky. And they kept Matt Nagy around for one more inexplicable year so he could ruin Justin Fields. And absolutely, it feels like they could be doing that again. However, segue into the next point. I do like the offensive coordinator list he's got going here. Do you, do you like the guys that we've looked at so far? All right, I will say yes. I will say... The the if the list is accurate of names that we've heard so far. So the name the list so far is Shane Waldron, current Seahawks offensive coordinator. Uh, which also, hey, Pete Carroll. What about Pete Puck fucking Carroll? He got forced out of the Seahawks head coaching job. Apparently still wants to coach, was crying, saying he pled his case. 
You don't you don't think I, I can make a case to Pete Carroll like, hey, come help us pick a quarterback, and you have another top ten pick, you know? But no, I got I got to stick with Matt Eberflus. I got I got to stick with Matt Eberflus. What I got to do? Um, Pete Carroll, obviously, I would want Pete Carroll. Like, yeah, obviously, for you people would. who don't know, for people obviously who don't know, I, I love Pete Carroll, but I don't. It doesn't seem like he's interested in other jobs, right? Like he would be looking at the Chargers or or something. Maybe I don't know. You know? Anyways, so the name, yes, the list is Shane Waldron, the Seahawks' current offensive coordinator. Greg Olson, not former Bears tight end Greg Olson, but former Bears quarterback coach Greg Olson. Did you know that, Travis? Did you remember when Greg Olson was the Bears quarterback coach? I, I did not. When did we see the Bears quarterback coach? Uh, okay. Let I actually I want you to guess what year. I want so he, I, he's there for I want to say two years, but I, the one I remember most. Um, what Bears quarterbacks do you think Greg Olson coached? Let's play this game real quick. Oh man! Just for uh, fun. I mean, it's, it's got to be kind of recent, so... Uh, it's it's actually longer ago than you would think. This guy's been around the block. I mean, at one point, he was the head coach at UCLA, I believe, back in the... What? Uh, I believe this guy was the head coach at UCLA back when Pete Carroll was... No, not Greg... Wrong Greg Olson. Hold on. And don't you Google. I hear you Googling. You son of a bitch. Don't you be Googling. I... I did not. You would hear. Look, listen. This is this is the sound of my keyboard, right okay. there. He was. <laughs> I want to say he was head coach at UCLA at one point, or I'm thinking of someone else. No, I'm thinking of someone else. But he. So this guy has been coaching it. His first job in the NFL was in 2001. Uh, okay. The Bears were his second NFL coaching job. Oh my god. But this guy's been around. I mean, he's been Raiders offensive coordinator on two separate non-consecutive occasions. He's like the the Grover Cleveland of um, the <laughs> Oakland Raiders. Uh, he's I, been with the Rams, he's been with the Seahawks, he's been with the Jaguars, he's been with the Jaguars twice actually. He's been with the Buccaneers, he's been with the Rams, he's been with the Lions, he's been with the 49ers. He's been all over the place. This guy was the Bears quarterback coach. In two, I guess it was just one year. I thought it was two years. 2003. He coached Cordell Stewart, Chris Chandler, and rookie Rex Grossman. He was the Bears quarterback's coach 20 years ago. The most enjoyable Bears year. It was. So, anyway, so he's. So, our candidates right now are Shane Waldron, who's the Seahawks offense coordinator, Greg Olson, who is the Seahawks quarterback coach. So, that's got to be kind of awkward between those two, unless they just bring them both along. That would be kind of funny. Um, or. Uh, Clint Kubiak, who's currently with the 49ers, used to be the Vikings offensive coordinator. And I believe the fourth name is Liam Cohen, who's currently the Kentucky University of Kentucky offensive coordinator, spent the year before that with the Rams, spent the year before that at Kentucky. Um, he, he left Kentucky to go to the Rams. Will Levis immediately went in the toilet. Kentucky gave him real money to come back because they missed him so much. So I will say this. I am okay with those names. Uh, if I had to say my least favorite option there would probably be Greg Olson, just because, like, and, and he's 60 years old. He has been around forever. He's never been particularly successful in any stint as an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, at the only reason he's even being considered at this point is because he has rehabbed his reputation, I think, by spending time with guys like Shane Waldron and Sean McVay. He's, he's rebranded himself. Uh, as a McVeigh Shanahan guy, 
Um, but he's been around longer than those guys have. He's hardly yeah. a he's hardly a mentee of these fellows. Um, if I were to rank them personally, my preference. I mean, Shane Waldron to me is a slam dunk. If it was, if it's up to me, Agreed. like don't let Shane Waldron leave the building. Like offer him whatever it takes, and I would do what I would do with if it were up to me with Shane Waldron is I would do the same thing that once upon a time the Buccaneers did to Lovey Smith with Dirk Cotter. I would be like, look, you're going to come here. You're going to help us pick our young QB with the first overall pick. And if everything goes well and he likes you, we will stab Matt Eberflus and you can just have the big job. Yep. You can. Yeah. So, cause, cause that's the way that is the way out. Everyone's worst fear with the bears keeping Matt Eberflus is that he will suck next year. And you will fire him after a year and you will be starting things over for the rookie QB. And we've seen that affect Mitch and we've seen that affect uh, Justin. We don't want it to happen again. The way out there is to hire a good offensive coordinator who works well with the quarterback. And then if you fire Matt Eberflus, you just keep that offensive coordinator as head coach. You, you ensure you, you move on from the milk toast loser defensive coordinator and you ensure continuity. Uh, for the young quarterbacks. Yeah, obviously my, my preference would be Shane Waldron. He's done a fantastic job with the Seahawks. It's funny, Seahawks fans uh, bitch about him, which just goes to prove that there is not a fan base on earth that likes their offensive coordinator. Um, <laughs> I saw people bitching about Andy Reid the other day, and I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, you, you people don't know. You've never lived on our side of the tracks. Um until you've had John Shoup as your offensive coordinator, you don't know shit. You don't know pain. Yeah, that's a fun one. All right, let's do that real quick. Uh, Luke Getze, he's fired. Travis, I want you to rank. Rank Bears offensive <laughs> coordinators for me in recent memory. Oh, this is good. Where does Getze rank? So we've got, let's go here. We've got, in order, we have Getze. Oh, he's not even close to the bottom. Bill. That's, that's fucking sad. Okay, hold on. So, Getze or, we'll just go, we'll just do either or as we, and we'll end work backwards. All right, Getze or Bill Laser? Laser, right. Laser, okay. Should I do Laser or, or should you want me to just keep rolling back Getze? Oh, so, so Laser, we've established Laser's better than Getze. Yeah. Getze or, so who was before Laser? It was Bill, it was uh, Mark Helfrick, right? He didn't okay. call plays, but he was he was Nagy's first offensive coordinator was Mark Helfrick, right? He's definitely below. Yeah, we're still at Bill Lazor here. Okay, so we're putting Getze below Mark Helfrick? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. Getze or uh who was who was Fox's last? Oh, it was the well, that dude might be the worst offensive coordinator Dowell, in his history. Dowell, Dowell Logans. Logans. Dowell Logans, yeah. Logans, yeah. Okay, so Getze or Logans? I mean, Getze, for sure. You, you're taking Getze over Logans. Okay, so Getze. I mean, he he might be the worst offensive coordinator we've ever had. He's there with Shoop, for sure. Okay, Getze or Adam Goss or Gase? Jesus Christ, it's Gase, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's so fucked up. That's What the hell? Is Ron Turner the best offensive coordinator uh, we've had? In like the last twenty years, so let's see here. So I'll, you know, I'll just read the names here: okay. Luke Getzey, Bill Lazor, Mark Helfrick, uh, Dowell Logans, Adam Guy, or Adam Gase, Aaron Cromer, Mike Tice, uh, and we will say nothing mean about Mike Tice because uh, close personal friend, my close Nate personal Tice. best friend Nate Tice is his son, so we will say nothing about Mike Tice's tenure. Mike Martz, 
uh, Ron Turner, Terry, the Grover Cleveland of the Chicago Bears, Ron Turner, because he has also served two non-consecutive stints um, as Bears offense quarter. Terry Shea, uh, John Shoup, of course, Gary Croughton. Jesus Christ. Matt Cavanaugh. Uh, and then, and then you're back to Greg Landry, who was, I believe, the second offensive coordinator of the Ditka era. So Getsy's like the third best offensive coordinator we've had. I, I would almost say, I would say, I would, I would, if I had to, I would rather have Bill Lazor. Yeah. And I think I would rather have, like, I guess it kind of like Adam Gase now, or Adam Gase when he was the Chicago Bears offensive coordinator, because Adam Gase in 2015 was a little bit ahead of the curve. Adam Gase during his tenure as New York Jets head coach was hopelessly outmatched. I I think I think Gase probably over Getzey, but Getzey's probably number three. He's like a solid number three. I mean, I think if, if you're asking me, I honestly think the best off well, we've said this before, the best offensive coordinator the Bears have had in our lifetime was Mike Martz both of the times that Lovey took him behind the woodshed and punched him in the face until he agreed to start trying to run the ball a little bit. Yep. Yes. Because the version of Mike Martz and Jay Cutler that they ran in the second half in 2010 and that they ran in the like nine games before Jay got hurt in 2011 was pretty good. Like, it was. Mike Martz is, is, he is truly, he truly is an offensive genius. The guy's contributions to the, the history of football cannot be understated. Um, he does understand offensive football in a way that a lot of these guys don't. Um, and when forced to be like a West Coast guy, he was basically browbeaten into being uh, uh, an ersatz Shanahan uh, for for Jay. He he did a good job, but the problem is that he didn't want to be like that. And so as soon as he could try to get away from it, he would. And Getzy kind of did the same thing. He did. He he. Whenever he got the message, and he would build around the QB run, and he would build around play action and he would build around the boot action he, he they, they'd have a functional offense because the thing is justin fields this is not me saying justin fields is secretly great and just needs the right coaching i we will go into that later but you can build a functional average nfl offense around justin Fields' skills if you really fully commit to it yep and he never did he would do it for three or four weeks and then he would try to when when the pressure was off he would try to go back to running his boring ass Mike McCarthy slant, slant flat West Coast shit. Yep. And he was so inconsistent. His play calling is yeah. so inconsistent game to game. Um, you know, sometimes you'd see these flashes of brilliance and everything felt like it was structured correctly. But look, the thing that got me the most, the thing that I think nailed his coffin close was when he basically admitted in a press conference that he doesn't tie any route concepts to footwork for his quarterback, right. which is every other offensive coordinator in the yeah. NFL. All 31 other offensive coordinators do this. It is very basic. Right. It's something they do in college. Right. Most it's... universities do this. And he, for a guy like Justin, whose biggest issue is his timing and, and anticipation, to not tie his footwork to his first read, it is batshit fucking lunacy. Yeah, it's it was that because that that was one of my favorite. That was so funny because Tim, it was Tim Jenkins. Is that his name? Tim Jenkins, the one of the five hundred uh, backup quarterbacks. Who's a, a friend of mine once recently said we have an epidemic of backup quarterbacks selling cope to fan bases right now. 
Um, But Tim Jennings is one of the many mediocre quarterbacks who now breaks down film on YouTube or whatever. And he was saying that he felt like the Bears had forced Justin into being, uh, I think it was left front forward in the shotgun. He used to be right front forward or whatever. Like they'd forced him to do the footwork like this and you could tell he was uncomfortable. And Getze's response was, I haven't forced him to do that. I let my quarterbacks pick how they want to do this. And Tim Jennings basically did the cheaty from The Good Place where he was just like, okay, but that's worse. You do understand how that's worse, right? Like, it's worse. It's a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't just you can't just make a guy, let a guy pick his footwork either. Like, you should, yeah. you know, figure out what, which front forward is normal for him and then sync your footwork and your route combinations to that. We spent the last two seasons being like, Justin is so slow, right? Like you just said, he. why is he so slow on the read? Why is he so slow dropping back to the end of his drop? Like, why is he so slow throwing a screen pass? And to find out it's a lot of the blame has to go to his offensive coordinator for not fucking tying his feet to where he's supposed to throw the ball is just, it's the most bare shit imaginable. And part of this, so so to get back to what we were talking about with replacement offensive coordinators, this is part of the reason that I'm more okay with keeping Eberflus, because the things Eberflus wanted out of an offensive coordinator, uh, Luke Getze talked a big game about bringing those in, but it's not like, well, that, actually, that's not something that you usually ask your fucking offensive coordinator. Are you going, you know, as a defensive head coach, are you going to, make sure to tie his footwork to his first read, you know, because A, of course you're going to do that. And B, that's not something you're going to like get involved with well, as a head coach. So, so speaking of what Matt Eberflus wants in an offensive coordinator, because uh, there is a clear theme among all four of the candidates that have been mentioned so far for offensive coordinator. Yep. All four of them are direct disciples of either Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Um, and and I say, we already talked about how Greg Olson, I have a hard time calling him a direct disciple of anybody who's 30 years younger than him, but still, he's he's worked directly for those guys. And and Flus was, he was transparent when he got the head coaching job. He said he wanted someone from that coaching tree. Um, and they, they, they hired Luke Getze, I think, thinking... Yeah. Because he worked for Matt LaFleur, who is obviously from that coaching tree, that he that was where his roots were. But the fact is, if you looked in, and this isn't something I missed at the time, if you look into it, Matt or Luke Getze is actually not a Matt LaFleur guy. He worked for Green Bay with Mike McCarthy. He was fired. He was let go when uh, Mike McCarthy or when when Matt LaFleur came in. He went to Mississippi State worked for any before that he had he'd also worked in college for joe moorhead and all that um and then he was rehired to the packers under matt lafleur as a favor to of course aaron Rodgers. aaron Rodgers. so luke getsy's qualifications were never that he was part of this shanahan mcveigh scheme uh that has so taken over the league he's not actually from that tree at all he's a guy who got a job as a quarterback coach because the role of the quarterback coach for Aaron Rodgers is to be Aaron Rodgers' friend and to right. never upset Aaron Rodgers. So the Bears kind of got bamboozled in hiring Getze. I mean, and they should have figured this out, obviously. But so I think you know, Matty Bethesda was like, "Well, I really want, I really want, uh, you know, an iteration of what your head coach Matt Lafleur runs in Green Bay. You know, I really like that scheme." And Luke Getze was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can run that." But if you look at his concepts 
And especially if you look at the way Matt LaFleur, everything he does is so synced together. The runs set up the pass. The play action looks like the runs. The motion has a purpose. Play calls in the first quarter influence play calls in the fourth quarter. And Luke Getze always, he doesn't do any of that. Their runs don't look like their play action. Their play action isn't really set up by anything. It's, he doesn't like to commit to play action. Like, LaFleur or or Mike McDaniel or any of those guys that are really from that tree do. He he is a Mike McCarthy guy pretending to be a LaFleur guy or a Shanahan guy. And so when you look at the candidates, Clint Kubiak currently working directly for Kyle Shanahan. Obviously, also, his last name is Kubiak. <laughs> like, yeah. before there was Kyle Shanahan, there was his father... Gary Kubiak, I mean, who and, and Gary Kubiak worked for Mike Shannon. I mean, all of this starts, really, I mean, I guess if you really want to trace it back, all of it starts with Bill Walsh. But somewhere along the line, this version of the offense, its its origins are in Mike Shanahan and the run-blocking scheme that he put together with, oh, God, what was his name? I, the, Mike Shanahan, offensive line coach. What was that guy's name? <laughs> this is gonna bother me it's gonna kill me forever it's gonna bo- alex gibbs okay so the zone blocking zone blocking scheme that has taken over the nfl that that all these shanahan offenses are built around was pioneered by mike shanahan and alex gibbs um it was basically it was built for steve young back in the day with the 49ers and then that's what shanahan took with him to denver obviously nobody is a better quarterback for play action boot action stuff than john elway was and it was so for the longest time there denver was famous for churning out those a different thousand yard rusher every year um you know we all remember olandis gary and all those folks but anyway so kubiak obviously his his origins in this system are pretty hard to question really he has literally been raised in it um the current iteration obviously of it the genesis is with Kyle Shanahan. He is obviously the one who has perfected the scheme. Um, but yeah, so we know where Clint Kubiak comes from. We know where Shane Waldron, he's been the Seahawks offensive coordinator for the last couple of years. He's been very successful at it, whether the Seahawks fans will agree or not. They have had some red zone issues. They have had some of that. But if you look at DVOA, if you look at basically any advanced metric you want to, that's been a very successful offense. And he did it with Geno Smith, who everyone thought was going to be a disaster at quarterback. Um, so he obviously gets a lot of credit there too. Um, but yeah, so Shane Waldron has been very good in Seattle. He would obviously be my first pick here. Probably my second pick out of that group would be Clint Kubiak. Uh, my third pick would be Liam Cohen, who again is at university of Kentucky right now, but last year was with Sean McVay. He's directly long story short, all these guys they're looking at have worked directly with either Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan. They really want that system and they want it for real this time. They don't want Luke Getze bringing Mike McCarthy shit in and claiming it's Matt LaFleur shit because that's that's not that's obviously what happened. And they're trying to avoid that again. Right. Um, so yes, the hope here is you get a guy like Waldron who I do think has some 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 clout, who has a resume to stand on, who has experience as a play caller. Uh, and then you let that guy have extremely significant input on your quarterback choice more than you let Matt Eberflus have input on it. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, one of the things about all four of these guys we've got beyond their connections, 
to McVay and Shanahan is if you look at all of the quarterbacks they've ever coached, it's pretty clear what quarterback they would want in the draft, and it's not Caleb Williams. Uh, well, I mean, it seems like it seems to me like Poles and Eberflus maybe. Um, I don't know how much input Eberflus has on this decision. I, I should hope it's not much. I really don't. We'll talk I, about that later. But yeah, I'm let's... pretty sure Poles is thinking about one dude in the draft. Well, I haven't read that much into it, but yeah. I do think, because I did talk about this, I do think if you are looking for which guy in the draft at this moment in time is a better fit for the Shanahan-style offense, it's Drake May, in my opinion, for sure. Without a doubt. It's not even... He is already vastly better than Caleb Williams, in my opinion, at playing on time, and that whole offense revolves around playing on time. And that's another reason why um, I think... Greg Gabriel, who's recently gone private after the Bears fired his last remaining source at Hallis Hall, Cliff Stein, and he he had, which even by Greg Gabriel standards is a pretty impressive meltdown about it. Uh, <laughs> he he thinks that these this list of offensive coordinator names that I've seen some people say, well, they're 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 trying to interview someone who is from the same system as Getzey, uh, but will be a better play caller. So that they they obviously want continuity. That means they're keeping Fields. But the thing is, I, I think part of the wow. reason... That's a yeah, galaxy brain thing. It is. I, but I think part of the reason this scheme doesn't really work for Fields is that it is a timing-based offense. Because I think yeah. that's part of it. Two people look at Justin Fields, and they look at some of these guys who have been successful lately. Uh, C.J. Stroud, um, Tua, uh, Brock Purdy, if you will. And they're like, you can't tell me that that guy's more talented than Justin, so how come... He's doing it. It's because he got a real offense coordinator. The Bears just need to get one of those guys. But the problem is Brock Purdy works in San Francisco. And you're right. He doesn't have one-tenth of Justin's physical talent. Brock Purdy works in San Francisco because what Kyle Shanahan does is he uses the quarterback as a joystick. And he points him in whatever direction he wants. And he trusts him to throw the ball when he's pressing the button. Yep. And Justin Fields doesn't do that then that's the one thing you, you have to do in that offense. He can make up for every other physical limitation you have. He can make up for you not even being that mobile, but he cannot make up for you not throwing the ball to the open guy when there is an open guy. Because he will get you an open guy, but you have to be willing to throw it when he's there. Right. And that was why Kyle Shanahan gave up on Trey Lance. Now, we both thought Trey Lance wasn't as good of a prospect as Justin Fields, in our opinion, but the issues they have are broadly the same. Trey Lance also holds the ball too long. Trey Lance doesn't throw with anticipation. He didn't have a lot of experience in, in college. And so you saw how quickly and instantly Kyle Shanahan gave up on a guy like that. Because the one thing he because if the guy's open and all you gotta do is throw it to him, that's all he's asking you to do. Like he doesn't give a shit if you can run if you can run the ball and you can, you know, run some cool stuff with QB power, he doesn't give a shit if you can extend a play for four or five seconds. He wants you to throw the ball on time because he's got an open receiver there. Right. And, and so that's, that's why... So that's there's, why a thing, there's a thing that you talk about all the time where you're like, I don't understand why a defensive coach doesn't come in and just hire an offensive coordinator that runs an offense that scares the shit out of him, right? You pick the guy who's coaching the offense that gives you fits. And it feels like... Eberflus tried to hire that guy and he was sold a bill of goods by that guy and he never got the offense he thought he was going to get. And now they're going back out and they're like, look, we aren't even going to take a chance. We are going to take people 
who are directly connected one degree of separation from the people we want who have actually run offices that do that shit. Or in the case of Clint Kubiak, guys who, like you said, they're related to people who are going well, to I mean, Clint Kubiak. They play for the San Francisco 49 I mean, Clint Kubiak was the, he, he was the Vikings offensive coordinator. He has play calling experience. Yep. He was the yep. offensive coordinator for the Vikings in 2021. 20, uh, and also, which a lot of people, you know, that was the year Mike Zimmer got fired. Um, so I think people kind of think that his offense was bad, but I mean, that offense was uh, 14th in points per game. They yep. were, uh, let's see here. They were 12th in yards per game. I think they ranked pretty high in yards per play. They were pretty good. Net. The actual, the Vikings offense from 2021 under Zimmer to 2022 under O'Connell, they actually scored fewer points per game and got worse in most metrics uh under kevin o'connell now i do think a lot of that was just kirk cousins starting a slow decline um but i think people have this idea that clint kubiak did a bad job with the vikings in 2021 or whatever but no he did he did a solid job like he the the results were fairly similar to what they had gotten and i mean because the vikings have also stayed in this system for a long time but the results were fairly similar to what they were getting under stefanski and everything else um, no, so no, I didn't think Clint Kubiak was bad at the job at all. And he has play calling experience. I think there's reason to think he'd do even better now that he's got that experience under his belt, given a second, uh, chance. Um, but yeah, I, I've got, I hope it's Waldron. I really do just because he's perfect in that he, I mean, this is a guy who with a slightly better finish in Seattle, I think is getting head coaching interviews. Agreed. Um, so he'd be perfect for the bears to land and, and to really, you know, maybe, like I said, I wouldn't mind if he did a good job with the rookie quarterback next year that they do a coup d'etat and <laughs> get rid of Fluss and install Waldron in the big job um, just to ensure that continuity. But yes, Waldron would be good. Kubiak would be good. Uh, Liam Cohen, you know, the fact that his only play, play calling experience is at the collegiate level is not likes him a little less appealing to me, but he's also younger and has a decent amount of experience for his age. And so he might stick around a little longer than a Kubiak or a Waldron might? I think Waldron and Kubiak are our age, aren't they? They're mid to late 30s, I think. Oh, I think so, so they're old. They're old. <laughs> so they're old. They're old. Uh, but yeah, I think they're old. Kind of. I agree with my ranking. 36. My exactly the same. <laughs> Waldron is 44. Oh, okay. But yeah, I mean, I have Liam to agree is with 38, you. So yeah, I I think the top two guys there, Waldron and Kubiak, are basically guaranteed to be NFL head coaches one day. And I mean, yeah, either we can toss out Eberflus if his defense fails, and suddenly the offense is catching on. And we want to keep that continuity. Um, but either way, I mean, these are good names. They're they're names that are obviously telling us a story here, right? They're they're telling us that like the Bears want that fucking McVay or Shanahan offense. And they're gonna get it, god damn it. So that's that's at least a little more positive to me. I feel like Cohen Cohen is a little bit the uh he's kind of a getsy like candidate, right? Where you're like, yeah, he could have some of that rubbed off on him, but he could also just kind of not know what he's doing. It's hard to tell at this point. Um and then yeah, I'm I, I would rather keep it among those three than go beyond that, I think. Yeah, I mean top, either of the top two. Cohen's, I would be over the moon. I mean, Cohen's 
I think his credibility is, I mean, if you want to go as a McVay Shanahan guy, I mean, Cohen spent, he was with the Rams from 2018 to 2020. So that's three seasons sure. right there, kind of in the early, like the first iteration of the McVay run. Uh, and then he went to Kentucky, was their offensive coordinator in 2021, went back to the Rams as their offensive coordinator in 2022. Um, then went back to Kentucky because, again, NFL assistants don't really make that much. College assistants can make quite a bit sometimes if they want to. Yeah. Um, so that's why he returned to Kentucky because they gave him the bag. But, uh, so yeah, I'm not I'm not down on Cohen at all as an option. Like I said, my least enthusiasm is definitely for Greg Olson, uh, just because he is 60 years old. He has made several stops as an offensive coordinator in the NFL. He's never been particularly successful at it. Um, I know he's got a, a fresh Shanahan shine on him now, but mm. I, I don't think he's changed that much. Um, I, if we were going to do an old retread, my preference would be Frank Reich. But from the guys that they're looking at, you can tell that they want a particular system, and I, I don't think they would even consider someone outside of that group. Yeah, no, I, when I yeah, I'm interested to see if there are any other names that leak soon too, and I hope they make a decision on that fairly soon. Um, cause I mean, I, you want this guy in the building as soon as possible and you want him breaking down Caleb Williams and Drake may tape. Um, cause like I said, you, I don't want Eberflus to have a ton of input on that decision. So I want a guy like Walter to say like, yeah, this is the guy I can work with him. Um, for sure. So yeah, no, I, I do think if you want me to be optimistic, the best I can do is that yes, the offensive coordinator list isn't bad so far. I could get excited. I could get real excited for Shane Waldron getting to pick his favorite quarterback in this draft and getting to coach him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then if it were up to me, I would do what I had to do to keep him in that scenario. If that kid succeeds, even if that means some not nice things for Matt Eberflus, but you know, that's a decision that's a year down the road either way. Right. Oh, I forgot to mention as we were talking about Getsy, did you see that the St. Brown brothers were talking to DJ Moore on their podcast and they were talking about Darnell Mooney and they all uh, said without saying that the reason that he looked so bad this year is the timing issue that he had with Getsy, that Getsy set him up to fail the entire season by basically timing all of his routes with Justin Fields incorrectly. And DJ was kind of like, well... Like, uh, there's a reason that the ball was getting thrown to me on time and it wasn't getting thrown to Mooney on time. So, I mean, we may end up looking back at this Getsy run as more stories come out. And and he was even worse than it appears. Well, and I don't want to blame all of that on Luke Getsy either. I, I think he's a big part of it. Sure. I think the thing that I... The harsh thing that nobody wants to hear is that there is a reason through three years of Justin Fields' career right now, there has yet to be a second wide receiver do anything. And yes, a big part of that is that last year that their wide receivers were absolute shit. But Darnell Mooney did not go from good to bad in a single offseason at his age, in my opinion. Correct. Um, What he did was he went from being Justin Fields' first deep read to his second deep read. And that makes a huge difference with Justin Fields because the vast majority of his targets go to wide receiver one and then their their check downs to the tight end or the running back. That was what is he, – he just does not 
read things quickly enough to get to a second or third wide receiver in his progression very often. He just doesn't. So the only targets Mooney got were schemed up specifically for him. And then that raises the question of like, well, I mean, if you have DJ Moore, are you really going to be scheming a lot of stuff up for Darnell Mooney? So I do think Luke Getz is obviously a huge part of that. And some of the shit he did as far as asking guys like Mooney and Tyler Scott to block, et cetera, all that was, was awful. Um, you know, Luke Getzey sucks. I'm glad he's gone. But I, I do think people need to be a little little honest with themselves about the reason that, you know, in, two, in 2021, Fields had no trouble finding Mooney, but he couldn't find Allen Robinson. And in 2022, he had no trouble finding Mooney, but he couldn't find anybody else. And in 2023, he could find DJ Moore, but he couldn't find Darnell Mooney. Um, yeah. Some of that's the offensive coordinators. Some of that's the players in question. But some of that is the, the quarterback... Like, I think if you're honest with yourself, and I think if you go back and look at the tape, there are plays where Darnell Mooney is streaking free. And, I mean, we saw plays where Justin did throw him the ball, but he's late and the ball comes out awkwardly. They, they had a couple deep plays where they were just so close. Um, but the timing was wrong, and it was almost always because the ball was coming out late because the quarterback saw the wide receiver late because the quarterback doesn't throw with the anticipation. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that sets us up for next week. We'll, we'll really... I don't know that it'll be fun, um, yeah. but I think it's time to, like I said, I've been arguing with people on Twitter for weeks and I have heard your concerns and your comments and I'm going to try to draft the script with some data, just going through every point that people have made for why keeping Justin Fields is the move and why we disagree. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, not fun, but necessary because a yeah. lot of Bears fans I feel like a lot of Bears fans think Justin Fields' first three seasons have gone better than they actually have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's... I think there's this perception that Justin Fields has been an average quarterback in below-average surroundings. Um, and so the, the thought process, if you put him in good surroundings, you'll get a good quarterback. But I think... The reality is, folks, he hit, not not I think, I know, the numbers are the numbers. He has been a below average to bad quarterback in a below average to average situation. And and so the most likely scenario of putting him in a great situation is that you will get an average quarterback. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll go into that in detail. I think we, I I have burned myself out with rage in this episode and everything else. You burned brightly. You burned bright this episode. I can't believe you're fucking... Seriously, you're going to stand up here and act like keeping well, Maddie Refluse is anything other than a terrible fucking decision. Well, like I said, it's not its not the decision that I would have made. It is the decision we ended up making. But I'm not in the, the place where I was when we hired Mark Trestman. I'm more in the place uh, like where we kept Matt Nagy for that final season and brought in Justin Fields. Like, maybe this could work. Maybe. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. But like I said, I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, let's call a spade a spade. The Bears have done this twice. The last two times they had head coaches, they did this shit. It's more than likely we're going to fire him after this next year, and he's going to fuck up Drake Mayer, Caleb Williams, and we will play this story again. Like, I, I'm, I am aware enough to admit that we're almost certainly completely fucked, right? Because that's just what happens to the Bears, and because this looks identical, to a bearsening 
But I do think there's reason to be optimistic for next season. It does start with hiring either Waldron or Kubiak and, and getting that installed. It does it does heavily uh, depend on what we do in free agency. Yeah, I do think a guy I, I do think a guy like Waldron could mitigate about fifty five percent of the damage of keeping Maddie Eberflus. I do think that that if they nail this coordinator hire and I've had some people say, like, why would, why would an offense coordinator worth his salt take the Bears' job when Matt Eberflus is going to get fired next year? And, you know, we've been in that position before. I remember Mike yeah. Martz, Mike Martz getting hired precisely because no one else wanted that job. Like, you had to work with Jay. You had to save Jay Cutler after a 26-interception season, and everybody knew everybody thought Lovey Smith was on the hot seat at the time. Nobody wanted the job. This is a little different this time. Because if you are an offensive coordinator who who has faith in himself, you are looking at the opportunity to not just coach the number one pick. You are probably going to be, after the GM, the main driver of who that number one pick is. Yeah. And I'll tell you this. If they take Shane Waldron, you know, you and I are both leaning Drake May. I don't think we made a, a, a secret of that. But if you take Shane Waldron... And Shane Waldron is a big part of saying, I believe that I can make something out of Caleb Williams and I will stake my career to it. Then I'm fine with Caleb Williams because I believe Shane Waldron is is taking that guy with a vision for him and with knowledge of what he needs to do to make him work and that he will adapt himself around that player versus a Luke Getze who basically had Justin Fields foisted upon him and didn't want to adapt. Um Right. I mean, this is the guy that made something out of Geno Smith, right. a guy who everybody thought was a complete failure in the NFL. A guy who has called plays, who was just in a successful offense for years, coming yeah. straight off of that, just by fluke, because the Seahawks decided to get rid of the head coach. I mean, it does it does work. It will, like you said, it will it will mitigate the damage yeah. that was done. So if you're if you're an offense coordinator like Shane Waldron, you get to so not only do you get to coach the number one overall pick, you get to help decide who that guy is going to be. Your fingerprints are going to be all over that, and everyone knows it. And if you succeed with that guy, then you own him, you own that forever. And and that's what your resume will be for your head coaching job. You will go out there and you'll be like, I am the guy who gave the Chicago Bears a franchise quarterback. Yes. That's the best resume you could ever ask for. So there is a chance, and plus you get the ninth overall pick too, and I, I God, I hope they're leading offense for that pick. I guess it kind of depends on how free agency goes. Right now, I think most of us want that ninth overall pick to be like Roma, Dunza, or whichever the top wide receiver left on the board at nine is. Um, you think, that's I it. mean, it's it's going to be wide receiver or defensive end, it, and it depends on which one we sign. In free agency, agency yeah. Because right? if, they, if they sign T. Higgins to Higgins, then fine. You know what? You draft Dallas Turner. If they sign Bryce Huff, then fine. You draft Roma Dunza. Um, yep. But yeah, the, the, the opportunity is there. So I think any offensive coordinator who has faith in himself is going to look at this opportunity to pick whichever he wants if Caleb Williams or Drake may to build an offense around them and to just own it because nobody, if that kid has a good rookie year, there's not one person on earth who's going to be like, wow, Matt Aberflus did a great job yes. developing <laughs> Caleb Williams or Drake may. No one's going to say that. They're all going to say yes. insert offensive coordinator did a great job. He should be your hot head coaching candidate. So that is that's good. your, that's your pitch. So it's a good pitch. It is a good, it's a great, I mean, we are set up to pull in great talent, which is of course Oof. why there's a general depression over why the Bears kept their head coach. It is. So, all right, well, that'll that'll set us up for next week. We'll 
We'll do the deep. We'll do. We've done deep dives on Justin Fields before, but this one's totally a little different. Um, but I think it's yeah. time. I think. I think this offseason will look a lot like some legal procedures. There's gonna next week comes the case against Justin Fields, and then I think there will be the case for and against Caleb Williams, and the case for. And I will try to make a case against Drake May. I'm kind of in love with him. I won't lie. Um, I've, there's, I've got there's one some thing stuff. wrong with Drake May. That's there's a couple. Know. There's a couple things. There's a couple things I can talk about um, for sure. But yeah, we'll, we'll lay all that out. It's going to be a long offseason. Uh, and, and I don't know if that we want to burn all of our quarterback content before we even get to the combine and pro days and everything else. But yeah, we... we yeah, and uh, Pulse has already said he is he is not going to make a quick he, decision on Fields or the number one pick. And he all, he all I don't think he's lied yet as GM. So... Yeah, it's going to be a while. We've got a long time to ponder this quarterback issue. We've got a long time to think about the draft. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you folks next week. And I guess if you're too depressed and you don't want to tune into that episode, I, I don't blame you. So then maybe we'll see you the week after next. That's right. It'll be there for you when whenever you need when, it. Whenever you're ready. So. Yep. All right. Later, All right. folks. Bye.